Can you, yes, can you say is. those ones for me, Kevin? Glarpot. Yep, yep. Glarpot. <laughs> yep. That was good. What's that the other one? Mine. <laughs> <laughs> yes, three a day. Uh, the croaker sings a song of the marshy doom. It's pretty good, actually. Yeah, you got a really good yeah, frog. Yeah. Have you been preparing for the summer? Yeah, no, I sat in the swamp for like three days. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Monsters and Multiclass, your Dungeons and Dragons fix. I'm Kevin Odie. I'm Jared Vornicle. And I'm Will Milton. And we'll be hanging out with you for the next hour to talk about anything and everything D&D related. This week we're taking a look at the Bard Warlock Multiclass, and then later on the Bullywugs from the Monster Manual and the Ghosts of Salt Marsh. So pull up a chair and hang out for a while. All right, so our two classes this week are the Bard and the Warlock. The Bard is a full spellcaster, the multi-class requirement, 13 Charisma, and uh, they cast spells by pulling out the innate magic in the world, usually through musical means or their speech and other types of stuff. The Warlock, also 13 Charisma, the only real full spellcaster in D&D 5e, according to Will Meldon, though. (laughs) usually get their powers by making a pact with a greater being, or they stumble upon an old book or artifact that uh, really plugs their mind with crazy stuff, and now they have to go do random chores for somebody out in the abyss. Does that about sum it up, Will? That about sums it up, All right. So, going to be an interesting one. Kevin, first thoughts? This one is, I think, is fantastic. It's I don't really see a bad way to go about it. They blend beautifully together. There's a bunch of really cool RP implications. That's not a word. <laughs> it is it, now. <laughs> implications for doing this in either direction. I really love this one. All right, uh, and then uh, Vontavius, the Hexblade Bard. What are your this thoughts? This <laughs> is a. This is actually, I think, a first. Maybe I don't know. This is. Uh, we are actively playing a bard warlock. I have a character who dipped into warlock like an edgy guy. What is it? We're now you're at eleven bard and one warlock. I think we're twelve now. <laughs> we we level thirteen. Yeah, we leveled up. So yeah. I'm like twelve oh. bard, one warlock. I, I fall. I fell to the curse of multiclassing. <laughs> I blame this horrible podcast for influencing me. I, my purity has been soiled. But I, I will say it so far has worked very well for me there's no real downside other than a minor minor blip on the road to spell casting but i'm loving it so far okay i on the other hand i recognize that it's it's two full spell casters or whatever warlock is both charisma something about it role-playing wise just isn't really clicking for me though i'm sure mechanically it's like it's it's awesome and and doesn't have any problems really what roleplay wise doesn't click for you? To me, this seems like I don't. There's, think there's a lot of like richness there and what you could do with this. I don't think there's anything that's like particularly bad about it. Like that would actually actively stop it. Like a, a paladin warlock, where a lot of times that's just like really silly. I just don't know what it's really going to add. Uh, hit me with something. All what right, you guys all right. This is this is my uh, interruption on this because I am currently playing one. I think it's got so much flavor that it's overly indulgent and you're already dominating bard character is now like he told a joke to a devil it's like <laughs> he's like oh that was a good one you want eldritch play it's like there's just too <laughs> damn it's so indulgent as a character it's like i am the silver-tongued rogue and i'm 
you know, an agent of some crazy power. So it's a little bit try hard, no matter what you do, you just kind of have to dance around that. Maybe that's what's doing it for me is it, it just seems too like, as you said, indulgent, I think is a good way to put it. Too indulgent? Yeah. I, I'm not getting that one, guys. I mean, this is, we're sitting around playing Dungeons and Dragons. All right, all right, like, all right. All your characters too indulgent for this. this yeah, this is <laughs> us being, this is particularly me being just like a huge like snob. And you, I've gone over this conversation before where my like ideal Dungeons and Dragons world involves you being just like middle of the road, like not crazy powerful, but that's so not how 99% of people play it. Sure. And that can be interesting. And that's kind of the campaign going on now. Like Jared, yours, which I'll be joining next week here. But at, at two indulgence, it's, I don't know. That sounds ridiculous. No, it is. It is it's, really like, mm, that's too indulgent of a character. You should dry it up a little bit. <laughs> mm, yes. I say, yeah, you're, you're not writing a story. You're not trying to make a relatable everyman character. It's, you're playing Dungeons and Dragons. If someone wants to play that ridiculous character, do it. And they, <laughs> yeah. that could be really fun to play. You're, you're, you're that silver tongued bard who maybe they're kind of walk the line between good and evil, um, between being selfish and selfless and stuff like that. And then they end up tipping over into the bad side of things a little bit too much. And they get a little too hunger for hungry for power. And so they make a pact with a devil or a fiend or a fey creature or a great old one or whatever. And then that's a huge role-playing moment for that character and can really greatly shape that character going forward. I think that's great. That's perfect role-play justification for multi-classing because it's an active choice and it will permanently change how the character interacts with the world. Okay. You can't ask for anything better than that. No, hey, that's, that's then, totally you fair. Know, then like we were talking about with, like, with Sorcerer, a lot of times it's passive. Like mm -hmm. you... This innate ability woke up in you and now you're sorcerer. It's like, yeah, it's not very interesting, but that's... Right, just like in this case where the most boring way to go about it is something like the Great Old One, where usually they don't really have any idea that uh, you're drawing power from them. It's just like, oh, I found this book and oh my god, I can cast Eldritch Blast now. <laughs> yeah, and I was just like, you know, it's, it's fine if that's how you want to start your Warlock, but if it's going to be how you start your multi-class into Warlock... Maybe try something a little more interesting. Making a pact with a patron is so cool. I mean, that's right. just, at the end of the day, it's awesome. It drives your character. It really sets a tone for everything that you do. And if you just let it be like a like the sorcerer again, like finding an artifact and it's like, oh, now I'm a wild magic sorcerer. It's like, it, it's going to fall flat. And I know we've right. tried that before. I, I literally did that. It's yeah. like, yeah, that was kind of forgettable part of that character. Right. I, I regret it. Yeah. 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 Well, I think the big thing is this uh, warlock. Everybody knows my feelings about warlock, even if they don't even listen to the podcast. <laughs> I said, I, I said I it bars, met, you know, just like, let yeah. me tell you about why warlocks are the best class in D&D. &D. <laughs> I met uh, a homeless guy downtown and uh, he asked me for a cigarette and I said, how do you feel about warlocks? And he goes, I actually know a lot because of Will Melton. Yeah, no, I gave that guy so many secrets. <laughs> he could join a campaign if he wanted to. <laughs> but what I'm saying is that the my favorite part of this class, it, it, the only thing where the class seeks you out, there is a, the power that you get is from a sentient thing that can track you down. It's... It no, wants something. Nobody ever like was tracked down by books and made to read them. It's like, oh, <laughs> I would have done a lot better in school. But that's not how it works. That's not how exercise works. That's not how rage works. It's like there's a sentient thing tracking you down. That's 
just perfect for a class, especially for multi-classing. Right. Or you track them down. I mean, who better than to actively seek something like that out, knowing they're going to be able to talk themselves into a positive deal than the bard? That's a fair exactly. point. That's yeah. a fair point. Yeah. I mean, I know you went lore bard and hexblade and your backstory. Which I think it's an interesting... I want to talk about that more. I'm sorry, I interrupted. No, that's you. fine. I think that's an interesting choice. But. I, I definitely think it is, and I've been really looking for uh, some some backstory justification. And you always meet with a shrug, and I don't blame you because you came in probably about six sessions till the end, maybe is around even there. The, oh man, that's like I say, our last sections session is a week from now. Yeah, out of the abyss. That's uh, I, this character literally played less than ten percent of the campaign. Yeah, right. which is a little depressing. I mean, he's there. I do have like ideas for him, but I'm not going to waste anybody's time <laughs> trying to flesh it out. <laughs> We've got like a demon boss to kill, and then you can throw Vontavius into the NPC bin if you want. I don't care, you know. <laughs> it, but the the thing is, um, this is my biggest problem with the Hexblade which I took is you can kind of hand wave why you have a magical axe oh, connection. We talked about this. I we think talked it's about this so much. Uh, one it's of the tough. last warlock ones we did. And just to reiterate, Will was in the idea of, you know, you just, you find a sword and the sword can't really do much to you. So you're just like, yep, free hex blade. But I think there's a lot more to it that you really need to consider. Like what the being on the other side is asking of you. In this campaign, it's not coming up because, as Kevin just said, we have one session left and there's really not been that time to flush it out. But I would hope if we were doing like a long term campaign, you know, Kevin would pop in somewhere and be like, hey, uh, by the way, uh, your sword wants you to kill that guy. And now it's like a thing that we have to deal with. Maybe there's good reasons. Maybe it's an assassination and we have to like figure that out. And it's like, oh, this guy's actually murdering puppies. And so this is fine. But then what's next? You know, guy murders cats. And you're like, well, I mean, that's. I mean, they are having a terrible impact on the local bird population. Uh, <laughs> Underdark puppies seem like they'd be really sad. Underdark puppies? Yeah. Yeah. They get I no agree. sunlight. No, they would not. Be They're not puppy. plants, dude. What? I've been growing dogs in my backyard <laughs> for 10 years now, and you're going to come here and tell me that dogs aren't plants? Oh, man, I guess I'm blown the fuck out of here. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but if we do want to go into the Lord Hex, uh, Lord Hex Blade, that is a very good jumping off point for mechanics. Okay. Because we get to see, like, we've been mainly focusing on the Warlock dip, which I think is perfect for mm -hmm. this. The Hex Blade has introduced a almost like game-breaking multi-class feature for spellcasters in that it is a permanent shillelagh with more than you could have ever imagined. You know, you get your charisma as an attack modifier, modifier yeah. and damage bonus. It's crazy. Yeah. If you want to make melee attacks as a spellcaster, you're almost dumb not going for the Hexploit. Yeah. If you're a charisma caster. If you're a charisma, if you're a charisma caster especially. Mm -hmm. So it, it's just freaking perfect. You get Eldritch Blast too, like... That's just such a good cantrip to dip for. Right. So this just having a lore bard who's focusing on spellcasting, I now have like Valor Bard melee abilities just out of nowhere, minus the second attack. Yeah. I say, yeah, you get medium armor, right? And pretty much yes. the same weapon proficiencies. Yeah. So it's... <laughs> I've been actually, gonna say yeah. I've been pretty impressed in how it's played out because again, you're high level, high level lore bard, but you have a lot of melee use with the booming blade cantrip, which is another <clears throat> thing you get from warlock. Yeah, and I've noticed that just booming blade in general, if you only get one attack and you're a spellcaster, like 
and you're trying to go that route at all, you should have Booming Blade. I mean, there's just zero reason at all. If you're making an attack, you can get cantrips, you can get Booming Blade. If you don't have it, you're messing up. I mean, it's just... There is green flame. It's just flame. bad damage. Green flame is pretty similar to right. its flavor, <clears throat> what you want. But it, it makes up for the lack of the second attack. Yeah, It really right. does. Yeah, no, a lot. I mean, the Booming Blade is... No, is it? You, you use it as a cantrip. A you make melee a melee weapon. weapon attack. If the melee weapon attack hits that creature can't move or they take damage at fifth level though you get an additional d8 just for free at 11th level you get 2d8 for free so you're just you're stacking up your damage without even having to make that second right. attack and it's beautiful on a rogue i know we're not talking about rogues but mm -hmm. it's just, the point needs to be made <laughs> because you you hit them so rogues never get more than one attack that melee attack you sneak attack can't trigger off of it if you have the other requirements for it so you get you get your one attack anyways. Then you get the extra D8 or 2D8 or whatever based on level for the booming blade. And then you just disengage as a bonus action. And now the, I have to make the choice of not do anything or run after you and take the damage. All right, so... But we're not... Ignoring that, same friggin' mechanic with the Dissonant Whispers, which is a great combination that we slam down because... Some lead designers of D&D <laughs> think that that's not willing. Whatever, man. So you dissonant whispers the guy in front of you. If you have the, what is it? The if they want to explain dissonant whispers. Have dissonant whispers is like a one target fear that uses the target's entire reaction. They have to use their reaction to move as far as they can with their movement. That takes them out of range and does trigger opportunity attacks. Right. So if you have the Warcaster feed, like any smart bard lock will take, you get to make a cantrip reaction for opportunity attacks. So you can hit them with this booming blade as they're running away. Now, they have ruled that that is not willing movement, so it doesn't blow up in their face and give you that 5d8 at my level. But at the same time, they're now like, let's say, 30 feet away and right. vibrating violently, and they can't do anything. So right. it's exactly yeah. like the rogue thing you just mentioned. We nerfed it, but it still sucks. They have to, like, stand there 30 feet away or take 3d8 more damage. Yeah, at high levels, but or 1d8, even at level 1. Yeah. Which mm -hmm. is noteworthy. 1d8 at level 1 is a lot. That's another attack. That's yeah. another attack, or they just lose their turn, basically. So there's just, like, a lot of combinations with the bard lock that you can just really kind of exploit. I almost feel a little bad sometimes, like, <laughs> looking at what I can do. It's like, I... This class isn't supposed to do that thing, though. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of the fun of multi-class. Yeah, it really right? is. You know, it's like, oh, what I'm not supposed to be able to do this. It's like, oh, but I found a way that it, it kind of works. I think that was actually something that kind of hilariously happened when uh, Kevin was was bringing his multi-class to me. And have we talked about Paladin Rogue? Yeah. Okay. That was an early episode. Okay. Well, that's what you're going to be going into is Paladin Rogue and going through kind of this booming blade combination as well which is i'm sure why you just brought it up right. going arcane trickster to get the booming blade cantrip and then paladin vengeance for tons and tons of damage because it's a fantastic uh subclass of paladin and uh you know you're like going through it and i'm like dude this sounds really strong and like <laughs> i'm kind of nervous it's gonna like overshadow everybody and you're like okay but i mean it's got this limitation this limitation we went back and forth for a while and i was i was talking to my girlfriend about it and she's like isn't that kind of what you did in his campaign and i'm like oh shit <laughs> you're just right straight paladin <laughs> right yeah. well not just straight paladin but straight paladin and then three into fighter oh yeah which was like you know it was so i could action surge so i could get my my second wing so i got uh battle master stuff so it's like you know every single turn it's like you know i make my attack i hit 
I smite, I decide to use my battle master tactics, whatever. And it's like, okay, are you done? And I'm like, I actually still have my bonus action and my second attack. And then I'm going to action surge. <laughs> it was like little stuff like that where it's like, right. we, we are at the point where we're now doing it to each other and it's fine because we're all prepared for it. Yeah. We know um, how to bounce around it. Right. Or, yeah. And, and more importantly, like it, it always feels overpowered, but it, it's more of just like, look how many tools I have. Right. You know, like maybe I can be really great in this one specific instance. And that's, you know, you're saying with the bard where it's like, well, I'm not supposed to be able to do all this crazy stuff with booming blade and, you know, doing these reactions. I've got this feat that lets me do it. And it's like, yeah, okay. So you're really good in this one specific instance. And that's great. Now you can feel good when that comes up and there's nothing wrong with that. It's just, if it becomes a real problem, expect more archers. You know, yeah. now you have to deal with that because you're not going to be able to get up close to them. Or if you do make them run away, it's fine. They're just going to shoot you and they don't need to move. You know, so. But that brings me into why the lore bard. And Kevin is, Kevin's never played a character that isn't a lore bard. <laughs> <laughs> I, he says he has, he says I was there for it. I drink a lot, but I don't drink that much. I know he's always been a lore bard. <laughs> And I really... That's a Reddit joke of a group that I love bards too much. He, I mean, he does. I love warlocks too much, but he really has played other characters. He played, like, characters. two of them. He right? played two of them, and I yeah, never let him Yeah, in the down. years and years we've played D&D, there's been two bards. Yeah. <laughs> they just both happen to be my longest-running characters, <laughs> right. because they're so damn good, they don't die. <laughs> the other thing is, you took up so much goddamn time at the table, because a bard... You always have to, like, be aware of the bard as a DM more than any other person at the table. Yeah. You have to be like... All right, I have to roll out in the open now. I have to wait for this guy to use like his reaction, his bonus action. Every yes. <laughs> friggin' turn in combat, you have to be aware of the board. And I've learned a lot about why it's good with cutting words and stuff like oh, yeah. that. I always have the reaction to be like, do I want to interrupt this situation? Mm -hmm. Which is really friggin' obnoxious, yeah. but it really does help. Yeah, I think um, it's, it's funny because you uh, you got the reaction counter for your druid class. Yeah. And then you came in with the, the bard and were like, yeah, you should probably hold on to this too because you have a new resource and that's your bonus action. That's your reaction. That's like your every, every turn. turn. If you're not using that, you probably messed up. And I love it because every single turn you're like, should I save shield? Should I save cutting words? Should I give somebody uh, bardic inspiration as a bonus action? Like what? There's like six things I can do right now. That's another right? weirdness that comes from the hexblade, especially. You get shield as a bard, which right. is, it, it's a little bit tough as a, uh, no, it's actually not tough. It's perfect for a lore bard because your reaction is to interrupt something bad happening. Right. So now I can be like, can I cut that or should I shield that? Right. And it's, it's really, I kind of don't like the feel of it because it makes me think like in a very metagamey way every yeah. single round. Uh, yeah it's hard to get away from that but it is still fun and it's still great i like it yeah yeah just in case anyone's not aware real quick uh cutting words is lore bards like initial feature so bards get bardic inspiration you as a bonus action you could give somebody like a d6 then it goes up to d8 10 12 etc and they could roll that one time to add it on to things lore bards can use cutting words so they could expend one of their bardic inspiration dice as a reaction to lower an enemy's attack roll or ability check or damage as well i think but usually that's not worth it so that's what we're talking about where if there's a lore bard at the table. The DM generally needs to roll out in the open because they're allowed to see the roll before making the decision. And yeah. then they can choose, yeah, I'm going to cut in words that I'm going to roll my D8. Oh, it's a six. So subtract six from that attack. Does it still hit? Right. Yeah, that's been that's been kind of a hard one to adjust to in general. So I've just been trying to 
maybe not show the rolls out in the open every time because that's just hard to roll in front of a dm screen though i guess it takes away the need for a dm screen yeah see i i kind of just been doing that i've been yeah. st- I, I like to stand when i dm though so it's not in combat of, for sure yeah no like, i need to problem, see everything so and like roll, roll out in the open and yeah i was thinking about getting a throne for the dm's <laughs> side so, and like uh like a. Not, not like the, the hand the grabbers they like you use in like war rooms where it's like moving the pieces oh yeah and basically oh, yeah, the, pool the pushers yeah, yeah yeah just getting one of those so i can like dominate from above <laughs> uh, <laughs> but um M- massive dice tower like built into the arm of the throne right so you just like slap the dice in it and it falls out onto the table i would do it like rube goldberg style so it, like it pulls it up and then drops it in my hand so like everyone can see it's like <laughs> that's the worst place to drop the die <laughs> It just rolls off. Mm. Natural 20. Mm. (laughs) Um, But uh, I've been trying to really go towards just saying what they rolled every time, basically, like in combat as the enemy or not even saying like the number on the dice, but just saying like, okay, like they got a 17. You know, like that's it. So if it's going to hit and you know the exact number, you've been doing it where you say whether or not it hit and you say the exact number on the die without saying their modifiers. Yeah. Which that, it's just slightly different. That comes down to who's at the table. So um, with cutting words, it says they could choose to do a cutting words after knowing the result of the dice before knowing if it hits. Yep. So you. It's kind of tough. Yeah. But where then shield, it's like it triggers on a hit. Right. Yes. It doesn't specifically say, you know, the role, but we've started playing. It's like, yeah, you know, the role. It's kind of crazy. So the issue is, uh, like at high level, like we have enough time where we just, we're just like back and forth doing the estimation thing. And we're going to know the number pretty quick. Right. Yeah. I think that's what I've come to is it's just like, it really doesn't change much. It's not like I've been like, oh wow. Since I started telling them the numbers, they're like, they're flying through this. You know, it's so easy. (laughs) It, it, it honestly, it's balanced out because I know what they rolled. If I'm playing a spellcaster and they roll a 15 and I see that it's, you know, with a shield, it's going to be blocked. I can't take out that knowledge. I can't be like, you have to hide the roll from me because I'm playing somebody with shield right now. Yeah, it's just like, just tell me it. Let's just be out in the open about it. It's the dice are going to do what the dice want to do. So we just got to accept that. Yeah, I'm not aware of any any of the books where it specifically says if it's intended where dice rolls are secret or public. Correct. But just based on rulings and how a lot of stuff works, I get the impression it's actually the intent is all dice rolls are public. Right. I think I'm regardless. I'm, like you, the stat blocks are hidden and all that, but the dice rolls I think are supposed to be public. No, the rule I mean there's no ruling here, but the reality is the reason there's no ruling is how you want to play it. There's the dungeon master is the dungeon yeah. master for a reason. He's not the dungeon president. You can't vote him out. <laughs> you make your own experience as the dungeon master. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's however you want. And I didn't like it at first. I really didn't like it. I really hated your style of being honest with that. Yeah. The reality, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. No. And it's just like shocking how little it matters. I'm like, this doesn't change anything. No. <laughs> and it holds the DM accountable to not fudge rolls in either direction. Right. Which I've, I've definitely had an issue, especially as newer as a DM, fudging rolls too much in favor of the PCs. I'm thinking, oh, no, this is getting too harsh. Oh, that's too hard of a hit. We just started. No, let me lessen that. And then realizing, all right, we're like 45 sessions in and no one's died. No yeah. one's even come close. It's like, all right, all right maybe I should be a little more realistic. So right. we started rolling in the open and then... Yeah, sorry, Will Saucy died, and then... <laughs> you know, I, I But think it adds the real... The actual threat to it. Right. Kevin cooks his dice. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I think it... it one thing that that kind of comes down to is, like, the game you want to play. 
you know, and, yeah. and when we started out of the abyss, we were all like, let's play a difficult campaign. You know, let's keep things hard. Let's not try and sugarcoat things. Like I want it to be tough and right. you can't fudge dice in that situation. You have to take emotion out of it sometimes. Right. And I think that's just something that as we play more, as we DM more, you just get used to it. You know, like player death happens, people get upset, but like, it's always great. You know, rest in peace, saucy. We're always going to remember that because it was something cool. You know, it was like, and I, I have the argument with people over, uh, does it need to be cool when they die? No, it really doesn't. It, in my opinion, it's just, if somebody dies, that was the dice roll. If you didn't want it to happen, do something better. You know, like right. that's, get that's a regular job. Don't go adventuring. Right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Saucy would be fine if he was just a drunken smith. Right. So, well, there's nothing exciting about being killed by a bunch of goblins. It's like, except for the fact that you chose that life. Yeah. Like, except for the fact that you, you almost you, you died. You died to a bunch of goblins. Like that was exciting. It was made exciting by the fact that it was possible. It right. should always be possible to die. Otherwise, we're not playing the same game. Uh, and that's definitely an expectation I make pretty clear at my table. It's just, I, I think it's harder to kill PCs than people give them credit for. Once once it starts getting tough, they're going to, you're going to start being a little bit creative. You know, pull out those resources, maybe run. Running's always an option. <laughs> Running is never an option. It, it, <laughs> it's so hard to communicate that to like a player base. It's like, you can run. It's like, no, I can't. I'm in a combat situation. You can't just run. It's like, it's not a video game, man. You really can just run. <laughs> but like in Pokemon, you can totally run. That's yeah, one of the options. But Pokemon, those Not are just wild battle. animals. Man. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I can say just about any turn-based RPG. That's the op- it's an an option. No, but in trainer flee. battles, no, you have to suck it down, man. <laughs> it's true, but the but the <laughs> loss condition isn't everyone loses their character. It's you teleport, you lose some money, and you're back to it. If you want to play that game, that'd be odd, actually. But I can see that being <laughs> a D&D game. <laughs> Like, oh, for, that, that's way too kiddy, you know. I, yeah, I want to be an edgy guy, but like, no, you die forever. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> if you die in D anD D, you die in real life. <laughs> Keep the Glock at the table, man. Jeez, that was actually that was a movie from like our teen years. Was Stay Alive or some video game? If you die in the game, you die in real life, and that's been a meme ever since. Yeah. I don't remember what it that's from. Familiar. Yeah. But I think it's just a, a trope. It's it's a thing. It's bad. I think it was Dexter's <clears throat> Lab, maybe. No, it was not Dexter. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there was the Matrix. <laughs> Died in the Matrix. Was, yeah, yeah. yeah. Was, exact same thing. It's kind of a video game. <laughs> Wait, there's a movie for that game? <laughs> the Matrix <laughs> Online? Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> there was a Bardlock discussion that was happening. There was. So. <laughs> yeah, we got way off topic. That's okay. So... What uh, what good subclass combos are you guys uh, thinking of? I, lore I think hexblade, all lore hexblade works. For just sure. lore hexblade. Now, so the, the really obvious one is sword hexblade. Mm-hmm. College of swords and hexblade. That's just fantastic on every level. Definitely, I think. Um, Meh. What? What? I I don't know. I've been the more I look at swords, the more I'm a little bit disappointed by it. Especially like at higher levels. Especially your dice don't scale that well. Your Bard dice. There's so many subclasses that change them from bardic inspiration to whatever. But uh, Swords like uses those dice to do sword stuff. Whereas Kevin's giving me a weird look. I'm not. What, I'm not seeing your argument. So you get like let's say four <clears throat> four bard dice. It's uh, based on your charisma modifier. Correct? Charisma modifier. Okay. It's you. It's your bardic inspiration, right? Yes. Yes. So that doesn't. 
that doesn't scale great. I don't know. At fifth level, it's a D8. At ninth level, or sorry, tenth level, no, it goes no, to a D10. We're not talking about what the dice is. We're talking about how many times you can use it. Oh, but it's per short rest. Starting but, by fifth, yeah. Correct. That's still like a thing. Like, when I look at cutting words, I'm just like blown away at how valuable that can be. Right. But it's the same limitations. But, like, hitting for more damage or doing something weird is cool. But preventing your cleric from dying is critical. It almost feels like a forced, like you really, really want cutting words. Like it's so damn good when you need it. Whereas swords, it's like, it's almost like uh, topping compared to the full meal that is cutting words. No, I think that I kind of get what he's saying. When you play a lore bard, you're almost always using cutting words. That's your mm-hmm. first thing for bardic inspiration. Whereas any other bard class, your bardic inspiration die are either being used for bardic inspiration or every once in a while you might use their other thing, you know, like, because it's just not as important in comparison to that cutting words. Right. Well, it comes down to play style. The lower bards ulti- <laughs> are kind of ultimate support characters. Mm-hmm. So cutting words works really well. Um, if you're a college of swords, and you're trying to be more of that melee focused or just martial focused. They could technically be ranged, which is a little weird, but a martial focused bard where you're actually doing damage and that's that's more of your thing. So sure, you're not going to be going to be cutting words, but that's not how you wanted to play that character. Right? Yeah, no, I'll give you that. It's a little harder to fit a sword bard into a campaign than a lore bard because a lore bard can just join anybody. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. The other uh, counterpoint to that is that Hexblade does have an overlap with the proficiencies you get from your sword college. Oh, sure. Okay. Yeah. yeah Not true. a huge deal, but it is, you know, you're getting two coats of medium armor. It's not going to help you much. Yeah. I mean, the proficiencies yeah. are. It's kind of whatever. Right. But you still get like, <laughs> you get shield and you get all your charisma bonuses to that. It, it really does complement swords very well. Uh, But I Mm -hmm. I personally don't think it's the best. Valor, which is the competing thing for swords, does not shine very well at all. No. No. But does it it get a little bit better because of Hexblade? Like, are there things that you're... I guess it's still the medium armor shields. You're getting those proficiencies. Um, The main difference until 14th level is the third level ability, where swords get their flourishes, where they could use the bardic inspiration to add additional damage and do, like add to their ac or hit an additional creature they get the combat inspiration where then it allows them to add their barding inspiration to the damage roll of it or you could um they could use as a reaction to add to their ac which is like kind of the same as cutting words but it doesn't work on saving throws it's it's almost closer to shield in the spirit of it but it just doesn't not very good and then you get the extra attack which is now Sorry, I just remembered the uh, for combat inspiration at the end. It's it's you can choose to do it after seeing the roll, but before knowing whether it hits or misses. And I think that's, that that's is, the same as cutting words. Yeah. Right, right, right. But like you're saying, it's the same as shield, not the same, but it's in the same vein as shield. It's like shield, but a lot worse. Because shield, you can <laughs> yeah. at least know, like, okay, I've been hit. Now I'm going to shield. Right. So that's but it just... has the potential to add significantly more AC mm-hmm. than shield. Uh, it's not using your spell slot. It's so it's the PC gets bardic inspiration from the bard, and then that PC has the reaction to also use this. add shield to then <laughs> use this. Yeah, right. 
<laughs> Whereas like cutting words, it's 100% on the bard. Right. You, you're limited to one reaction where the bard could give out bardic inspiration to every party member and then every one of them could use their reaction to do it. Oh, okay. Okay. So you're using your reaction to give yourself shield and you do that before you know whether or not it hits or misses. And I, I say you give yourself shield. That's sorry. Not really the right phrasing. But uh, yeah, got it. It's on the PC to do it. Mm -hmm. That makes a little bit more sense. That frees up the bard's reaction. But I mean, if you're not using that reaction for something else, bardy, uh, it's probably not. Uh, no, probably not too important. And bards are uh, bard subclasses are actually really weird. You get third, sixth, and fourteenth. Mm -hmm. so each subclass doesn't really matter it's just pure bard up until 14th level i feel like i totally disagree the different subclasses change up play style entirely yes but once you hit sixth level oh it's over that's until fair. 14th right which is really far out right which is kind of interesting but uh yeah the both lore and swords do have the extra attack thing which i think that chasing as a hexblade especially is kind of a waste of time you meant swords and valor? Yeah, swords yes. and okay. valor. Okay, yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 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 definitely. So lore is definitely good. I think swords is good if you're going... So it, you think it's good to go Hexblade then if you're going swords, or are you saying you should uh, go No, I think else? it does benefit it, but it's just, you know... You're probably okay. going to yeah, focus more on one than the other by a lot. I think glamour would be a good one with the Archfey. Yes, um, definitely. Or lore. Both of them kind of fit over. If you're, like, preserving lore could see that being an, an archfey thing but glamour i think fits a lot better it's kind of in the the same idea of that that paladin one we were talking about a couple weeks ago it was the paladin oath of the ancients and the archfey warlock those two cross over really well same thing with college of glamour and the archfey warlock yeah you get uh warlocks do have a decent amount of cool flavor stuff associated with them Everybody always kind of like leans fiend because you just do more in combat. But with this combination, you can really choose whatever you want. Right. I don't think we've ever, ever done paladin warlock. Uh, it might have been bard. bard yeah, paladin. there's paladin bard. Yeah, yeah that's it. And say I know paladin warlock is kind of one of those big ones. Yeah, it's going to be a heck of a discussion. I know we're going to remember that. <laughs> can't <But> wait. <laughs> you can't do that. You lose your paladin powers. <laughs> I don't see much, if any, benefit to go something like the celestial. For a warlock. I'd never see any benefit to do it. It's not <laughs> I mean, edgy it, enough. Their healing's be, decent. Yeah, it's nice to get healing, but Bard's like, it just takes care of basically all of this. And you right. get some additional healing, but like, it's, it's definitely not worth going into warlock just for that. Let's see. Other Bard classes. Whispers? I mean, if you were like Whispers in Whispers really works with any warlock. Yeah, it does. RP-wise. It sounds like you're like more of an occult almost for right, that yeah. patron, which could be really cool. Yeah. I could see that being great. You're like a spy for them. <laughs> it's uh, a little bit tough because all these things, like you can just like puzzle piece them together and they fit no matter right. what. I mean, Whispers is great for that because it, it actually reminds me of uh, like the great old one in the weird, mysterious way that okay. both work. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. But if, I mean, in a way, all of the warlock subclasses have some element to that, except for the, the fiend one where I feel like it is very like, you're, you're selling your soul to a devil for power. And that's not that exciting, in my opinion. It, no, that's it actually, can be. I mean, that's a pretty big life event. <laughs> it, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think that's easy to say. Yeah, it's a big life event. But I, I think there's kind of cooler ones. I guess, does the fiend, is it like to a specific fiend? Yeah. Are you... You pick a fiend. Are you now answering to them? Or is it just like, 
it's just a pact. So that's pretty generic as usual. It doesn't have to be selling and forgetting. It's just like you're not working for them really. I always looked at it like uh, it kind of depends. Like my generic warlocks swore oaths to Asmodeus, for instance. Mm -hmm. And I felt like Asmodeus was always going to be way too busy to actually ever call me. Right. So it was a safe choice. <laughs> yeah, but you might have to deal with like his assistant's assistant, who you still don't want to mess with. <laughs> I mean, yeah, obviously you don't want to mess with them, but bureaucracy's going to get in the way and I can focus on my quest that's only going to last like six months. <laughs> <laughs> then after that, we'll we'll deal with the rest. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think um, this is something I've I've brought up before, but I don't think we've ever done a good job of making Warlock feel like it's an important choice at the table, like role-playing-wise, well, with any of the classes, or with any of the campaigns we've played so far. That's because we do the thing that I hate, which is, like, you are important. The world is going to end. If you do not stop the world from ending, it will obviously not go well right because then it's always going to go into the same idea of well like what are you doing warlock why are you here and it's like well my patron told me to be here so this is kind of important and that's the start and the end of the entire flavor for the glass exactly <laughs> so as long as they don't step outside that and refuse the call then they're fine where you know you, you need to throw in them doing something else something crazy i don't know uh and now i'm like kind of disappointed because we are playing this this very role play centric campaign and nobody wanted to play a warlock <laughs> like the one time that i could really dig into that oops <laughs> well you created your own damn religion so like i don't know who to pledge to anymore oh it's exhausting <laughs> i originally was going to make like 10 different gods and each of well it was going to be four gods and each of them had nine major followers that fit into like lawful good lawful neutral and i sat down the first day and i wrote them out and i was like that's the dumbest thing i've ever heard that's going to take so long there's going to be <laughs> 40 of these bastards just like causing me problems not a single one's going to come up till it does and then you're going to be like i don't know what right i'll be like oh i didn't write anything she about that has one. a beard yeah so uh per the usual just uh Keeping it simple, and I'll, I'll let others kind of fill in the gaps as time goes on. But if you have any questions about which god to pledge your loyalty to, please talk to me. <laughs> so which fiend, though? Let's say, well, I didn't make a warlock. That um, hasn't been brought up yet. Oh, shit. The bad side of things. Oh, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> I mean, Baphomet's pretty cool, right? <laughs> you just make him up? What's he like? <laughs> <laughs> Just gonna yank the demon lords from Faerun. Oh, you're saying oh for oh 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 like in your homebrewed world. If somebody, if has someone a wanted warlock, to be a warlock, that would probably need to be a whole big discussion. It probably would. Yeah, and I'm I'm totally leaving things open on that on purpose, where it's like right now I don't have any of that written out because why am I gonna waste my time until it becomes necessary? Right. Demons have come up. That's a thing. They're they exist in the lore great we're off to a good start <laughs> if it becomes a bigger thing in it then sure demons are around devils are around i'm sure no no lore for it yet right i mean seriously like uh, ever since i've started world building at all it's like a hobby in its own it, you can spend years and years and years just adding to it right and that's not really what i'm trying to accomplish i'm trying to make something that's less convoluted than Faerun. And that's really it. Yeah. And I think for that, so far, it's going great. <laughs> when somebody brings me a fiend warlock, we'll deal with it. Right. If you really want it, like, if you want to make world building your hobby, you have to very much come to terms with the fact that 
no one will care about 95% of the things you write down. Yeah. It, you just have to like suck it up and accept that fact unless you somehow get famous. <laughs> and that is a tough one to do. So yeah, I, I do empathize with your laziness. Yeah. It's, it's the right amount of laziness. It's, it's important <laughs> laziness. Like you did make a calendar. That was pretty. That okay. Was pretty well, I guess some things are for me. <laughs> <laughs> Name the days and everything. It took me a solid 45 minutes. It's not that big a deal. 45 minutes I would have spent, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, thing I want to say about the Lord of Art. <laughs> Go for it, man. You got the floor. <laughs> so additional magic secrets is flipping dope. You get to, to mm. steal spells from various classes. And the more spells that they add to the spell book, the worse this gets for the game. Because, <laughs> like, there are no limitations. If you can cast that spell, you can steal that spell. Right. So ranger capstones like steel wind strike are on the table and that's super dope. Yeah. I love that spell as a bard. Yeah, I've noticed that. That gets pretty absurd. I mean, it's it's cool. It's fun. I like the fact that you are casting steel wind strike as a bard hexblade. <laughs> because I just love the spell so much. But, but like, it's great. When you want to explain that one, yeah. Steel Wind Strike. All right, is the anime spell of spells. <laughs> you pick five targets. You ask your master to go all out, just, just this, this once, <laughs> and then you roll attacks against all of them, and then you roll five d ten of force damage, and you teleport within five feet of any of the targets you picked. Yep. So it's yeah. crazy <laughs> movement. It's crazy damage as long as they all hit if you hit all of them there's like what there's like 25 d10 mm-hmm. yeah it's, and it's a ranger only spell mm-hmm. at fifth level so they don't get it till 17 yep. i think yeah yep but magical secrets you just get steal it real it. early <laughs> what like ninth ninth yeah. level i think you could yeah. take it as yeah. soon as you get fifth level spells which yeah ninth. and magical secrets. it's it's just like it's it, you can do this the same thing to paladins they do have some like capstone spells that aren't supposed to be coming out of anything but a 17th level character. Right. But as a lower bard, eh, you don't care. Right. Yeah, I mean, it hasn't felt like overly broken in any way. No. Um, you're still limited to some extent of how many 5th level spells you have, but it's it's good. I mean, being able to just take from any of the half-caster top-tier spells is is real nice. I don't even know what what's a really good high-level paladin spell. They've got a few that are like, uh, they're not auras, but they're similar to auras where I can like give everybody some weird effect that is pretty damn overpowered. Okay. Well, I know you stole Aura of Vitality, which is a really good healing spell. I mean, it's, uh, what, 2d6 per round is a bonus action? Mm-hmm. Yeah. For a minute. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, for a minute. Anything within, what, 30 feet? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, not... But you designate a target within 30 feet. Yes. It has a bonus action. They get 2d6 health back. Right. And that's really nice. Yeah. I think circle of power like gives everybody advantage against everything or something like that. <laughs> and it's fifth level paladin. Yeah. Okay. That sounds like a paladin thing. So that that is a... <sighs> I really get why the lore bard is fun and why the lore bard is powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'll give you that. Yeah. Anything else about bard warlock? <laughs> yeah, we're, we're doing a really bad job staying on topic. And I guess it's because it's all just good yeah i think it's like you come up with your character concept that works with them look at the different list and abilities spells and decide yeah i want to go up to here and up to here it'll probably be fine right like i 
This is not one that needs to be intricately crafted or you're going to fall into traps and all that. You could probably make some arguments of, you know, stopping at fourth or eighth on something for the ability score improvements or uh, fifth and ninth for the spell level increases or whatever. But it's still just not that critical. These are two classes that just work beautifully together. They really just synergize great. It's. I think the only thing you would have to watch for is if you went, tried to do like a an even split. I think you're going to really be holding back both of them um, in the sense of if you're a bard and you only go up to like level nine, let's say you've only got access to fifth level spells and then warlock's not really going to improve your spell casting in any way. You'll get some invocations, which are definitely good, uh, but you're you're going to feel that power creep of everybody else just surpassing you. To, you think? Because then you'd be warlock 11. So no, to like kind of... I'm saying if you like stopped in that interim period, I think it would be pretty rough. To side with yeah. Jared, like if you try and play both these classes to their overly boring stereotypes, you're probably going to be a little bit disappointed if you even split it. An mm. Eldritch Blaster gets everything they need by third level in Warlock. And, yeah. you know, it, that's perfect. So if you split that and try to be like a support bard Eldritch Blaster, you're probably, you got to kind of pick a jumping off point a little bit earlier. Even splits do not really help it too much. Yeah. Right. I'm not sure if there's much benefit in a small dip to bard too. Also, I don't think bard we talked about this. The expertise and stuff. There's there's definitely a lot. You're right. Um, yeah. Yeah, their spell casting, their bardic inspiration comes on at level one right away. Right. And you've Second got the level, charisma. Jack of all trades where half your proficiency is added to everything, basically. Awesome. Fantastic. <laughs> Song of rest. Then at third level, you get your bard college feature and then expertise. And then you're getting spell casting that whole way. Right. And, I think you'd go up to fifth level in bard without really any problem. Yeah. That's when, yeah, then at fifth is where you get your fond of inspiration, mm-hmm. where you're... Getting them back, on, comes back on short rest, which is really great. Yep. Yep. So that's that's definitely good. Yeah. And then you're sorry, I keep interrupting Yo, you. But you're I'm going to do it anyways. Go uh, then the, the warlock spell slots come back on a short rest, which can be used to cast bard spells, which is great as well. So that's always really nice. That's true. That's and very true. They'll, leave, they'll still be at their level. So warlock spell casting is the pack magic, where it's always cast at its maximum level for your level. And there's a table for it. And so you could cast bard spells using these pack magic slots at their maximum level that still come back on a short rest. And then you could have your warlock known spells and use your more plentiful bard slots to cast these warlock spells as well, like hex or something, which is usually somewhat limited by your two warlock spell slots. But now you can use your bard spell slots for it. So there's a lot of really cool combinations there. No, definitely. You can like break both classes. Because <laughs> yeah, you're you got into the very meat of it is the warlock is limited by their spell slots. That's solved by being a bard. The bard is limited by their spell choices. That's eliminated by being a warlock. They've got eldritch blast now, and you've got spell slots for days. It's it really is hard to screw up this combination. Yeah. So role playing wise, I don't think we talked about this at all. What about a warlock going into a bard? Right. Yeah. The, I made a mess. I don't have to bring that up and forgot about it. It is a little tougher. So you could kind of go the route of the bard trying to spread the word of something. So so you mentioned earlier cult. Mm-hmm. I could see a cultist kind of going that route where they're, they're the charismatic silver-tongued cultist who's going out there and they're basically trying to recruit people. Okay. And in that learning the ways of performance and all that, they kind of realize there's this additional magic there that could be harnessed. I could see so, it. I'm going to definitely stick that one in the... If it makes sense in your story, go for it. Yes. But I, I honestly cannot think of a like 
a character concept where it's like, well, of course that's going to be both of them. And you know, you'll be with a patron and then just go straight into it. Even that, I mean, like if you're in a cult and you start trying to get people in, you're a charismatic person you're like going that route. You're not going to just stumble upon the magic of it. It's like, that's a very active thing usually for bards where they're like studying how the, the world's magic flows about and like, Picking right. that out through just like conversation and stuff, like it's, I'm not seeing that fully. Oh, okay. So you have a cult that's dealing with kind of the metaphysical properties of the world, where it's like, why are things? How, that's just it, religion, man. Yeah, yeah, I know. yeah. <laughs> a big part of religion is trying to answer metaphysical questions. Okay, I can't remember if it's the why or the how. I'm trying to remember philosophy for college. <laughs> it's not important. They're trying to figure out the why, both the why and the how of things. Sure. And so this cult has very strong ideas of why the world is the way it is and how it came about. A big thing with bards is they, it's saying in their performances and their orations and whatnot, they're echoing the songs of creation. It's saying the world was spoken into existence and their, their words and their music pulls from that magic, the echoes of creation that still are reverberating around today. So you have this cult that's really big into they're trying to have their own ideas of how the world came about and what you should do because of that. Mm-hmm. Doing crazy amounts of research into creation of it all. Diving into ancient lore. And, oh, lore bar. Yeah. yeah. Ancient Ooh. texts and whatnot. Okay. Or they're the Dark Brotherhood and their assassins. And College of Whispers. Whispers. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or College of Glamour. I wouldn't say Swords or Valor. That one wouldn't fully make sense. But those, I think that yeah. makes sense. I think that's that's a good way to go about it. It's definitely a little tough and a very specific type of character that you would need to mm-hmm. start off with. I, yeah. But I mean, it's there. There's something at least. Right. And this I, is something we I don't think we've ever actually addressed, but I've been thinking about it personally a lot, is the kind of level zero. Mm-hmm. Where... You know, we've got like 37-year-old adventurers that are humans. They didn't just sit around for 20-odd yeah. years yeah. doing nothing. They had a thing they weren't very good at, maybe. Yeah. You can be, like, a bard doesn't necessarily need to be a magical bard until they pursue that path. So That's true. You can feed a lot of these things with a backstory. You know, even even something crazy like wizard. Like I was a scholar of sort. Right. We've got these backgrounds that make sense and can make any multi-class essentially possible for you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, um, I mean, that's something that, uh, I, I recently put a, a poll out on Twitter that was basically like, why don't you multi-class? And a lot of people were like, well, my character concept just doesn't really make sense for it. And I think that's kind of funny because like a lot of times we think from the start, like what this character is going to be and why we could justify a multi-class right from the beginning. Because a lot of times, yeah, it might not make sense where it's like, I grew up as a fighter in my entire life. I've been a fighter. And like, then you play and, and nothing comes up that goes, oh, but you should be a paladin because of this reason. But like having something from the start coming with to the table with some type of loose background, like I'm a fighter, but I also grew up in a tribe so maybe barbarian makes sense one mm-hmm. day, you know, or that's the acolyte background. Or, right, yeah. right, 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 right. Stuff like that to just like later on have it make a little bit more sense, be less of a jump. I like to put those things into my characters from the start because now you can really start to flesh it out in which direction you think makes more sense as you go through and not wait for that opportunity of like, I hope something happens that gives me a reason to multi-class. It's like, no, go into it from the start. You can put something together. That's the funny thing about Montavious, who, you know, 
came in for the last, the back nine, the back like one of the entire <laughs> campaign. It's like, how did he get to level 11 or 12? I designed him being like a 130 year old elf who'd spend the last 40 years like barely leveling up for his entire life. And suddenly now he's in a real campaign. That'll never come up. No. But that was the character concept. No. He had spent 40 years getting from level one to level 10. <laughs> and that's seeing as we took yeah. a year and a half, you know, <laughs> that's pretty, pretty slow in comparison, which this is a, a great time for me to bring up and remind you that uh, you need a real backstory for Musty whenever you got it. <laughs> no. <laughs> Come on. Secret, even from the DM. That's not how this works. <laughs> <laughs> not how this works at all. <laughs> I have one. I just need to type it up. Okay, that's fine. I can accept that. He's been good so far. <laughs> I love his musty ways. <laughs> and his healing word, snake. That one's good. That one's What's good. It's, uh, it came up when he... Uh, cast healing word like what is that what is how does that manifest and we we're in a sand pit at the time and i was like it's just a snake comes up and just bites you that's like the the flavor of the healing word he just speaks some words and like a just bites on and it's like does this matter at all no it doesn't okay yeah that's his healing word now he's a spore druid so yeah Jared, it's all like, weird just ran yeah. with the idea that everything needs to be very 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 flavored and i don't disagree <laughs> yeah no it works this snake's a little odd i'm not it doesn't matter. But yeah, but that's it injects the thing. you with healing, dude. Yeah, here's the thing. You're you're thinking about it too much. All right. Like literally, it's just how does his spell manifest? It manifests as a snake that latches onto you and fills you with healing. Yeah. If you think more about it, you're wrong. Okay. <laughs> it is kind of like my description of Told the Dead as the bells literally just whacking people right, in the head right. for necrotic damage. Not even remotely how it works. No. the game, but it's much better for right. It. it doesn't. It doesn't matter. You know. Just flavoring how you want. I'm really happy that our our cleric of a water god flavored her revivify in her own way. I was really happy with that, where she basically like put some diamond dust into a bottle of holy water and just like gave it a shake and poured it over them. I was like, cool. I'm liking this. We're we're all in the uh, flavor revivify in your own way category. Yeah, because Saucy's was blowing diamond dust up their nose <laughs> <laughs> and then yelling that they owed him money. <laughs> so I see, though, everyone's still stuck on the dust part. I, it doesn't need to be done. It doesn't, but to put it in a jar yeah. or in a, a thing yeah. of, yeah, that, that made sense. So it was fine. <laughs> it, makes more, it makes more sense for the increments. The increments, what do you mean? It's like trying to oh, make 37 oh. cents out of nickels is not going to happen. No, you're so right. So just smash the nickels up and blow them up at somebody's nose. <laughs> 300 gold worth of diamonds. Yes. Yeah. I always say that one with a wink. 300 yeah. gold, you know, up to my discretion. Yeah. <laughs> okay so bard warlock i think we can close the book on this it's great yeah it's good stuff yes eight plus yeah almost as good as the wizard sorcerer me and kevin synergizing to create the best best class <laughs> <laughs> oh god i don't like that idea at all kevin's favorites the bard will's favorites the warlock just mush them together the Bardlock Paladin oh, coming we, next. Oh, a name. Oh, wait, we missed Sorcerer Wizard. Oh, We're terrible. Sorcerer Wizard didn't deserve a name. <laughs> Not even the Scissor? The Scissor. <laughs> oh, God. Sorcerer Scissor. Make sure, just like when we promote it on Reddit and Twitter. Just the Worcestershire. We'll figure something out. All right, but then Bard Warlock. What can we get? The easy one's Bardlock, man. What about the, Ward? Bardlock's the obvious one, though. That's... Ward? Oh, man, that's tough. Bardlock. Um, the Bach. The, the Warlord. The Lockard. Lockard. Wait. 
You're mixing so many things around. Lock. Oh no, it's just the the. Oh, last, the end part of yeah, warlock. Lockard. Yeah. That part of both of them. Mm. Yeah, mm-hmm. lockard. I like warlord. 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 It sounds like warlord. Yeah. Yeah. It's like it's lard. too good. Yeah, it's too good. Yeah, that's well, pretty bad, man. It's got <laughs> lard in it. Literally lard. <laughs> warlord. Wait, why don't we just call it the lard? The lard. All right, I can give with that. It's the locker. The logger. <laughs> just with an A. <laughs> the locker? L-O-C-K-A-R. The locker. Okay. Locker. Gotcha. Gotcha. But, but like, you, you got to pronounce like an E. It's the locker. It's locker. I think it takes so much effort just making this as obfuscated as possible. I feel like lard is better than locker. <laughs> lard? Yeah. Because it's, okay, so, yeah. it's just so like... Oh yeah, I'm a it's lard. lard. Yeah, I'm a lard. It's like, oh, that's not intimidating at all. This like, <laughs> just kidding. Zephyr Strike, strike. Yeah, yeah. not Zephyr yeah, Strike. We always great. mix those two up. I do. <laughs> all right, I'm right, going for the lard. Okay, lard it is. It's official. Put it in the books. Now we can close it. All right. We got to do promotional stuff. Yeah, I do. Well, go on. That's your jam. Oh, jam. I love jam. We were not in a quiet part yet. <laughs> <laughs> I misread the room. <laughs> All right. So for this promotional period, I'll say the exact same thing I say every every single episode. Uh, if you are not yet, please follow us on Twitter. Subscribe to our subreddit, as that is a new thing we are doing. Check out our website where all of these are posted, as well as other things when we feel like it. I know that we're going to be, by this point, having a a cross-promotional thing with uh, somebody I I talk with on Twitter all the time, Cinderblock Sally. By around this point, if not earlier, we should have their monster up there and one of our thoughts on it, or all of our thoughts. Subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts, and don't forget to feed your cat. You always forget to make one. Leave a review for us. Yeah, because nobody's going to do it. So we just might as well throw it in. We keep them. We do? Yeah. I haven't checked in a while. Yeah, we got a new one recently. Oh, cool. It wasn't, was it five stars? it wasn't a written one. Was it five stars? It was. Oh, thank God. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> All right. That's why. Because if anybody gives us a bad review, if they ruin our five-star streak of like 11 reviews at this point, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to quit. We're going to be done. That's going to be the end of the podcast. Yeah. Stop bullying people into giving reviews or they'll give you a bad one i know that's what i'm saying that's why i'm not gonna bring it up that's why kevin has to bite that bullet. <laughs> review us if it's five stars or just don't review us at all <laughs> if you don't like this stop listening man yeah that sounds scummy yeah it does just, just leave a review oh okay just like leave any like connotation about not positive or negative out of it people are gonna do what they want but that is completely fair and, yeah. and more importantly you know like if we miss anything during these shows you know like i i love to hear people come and say like oh you guys didn't talk about this subclass combination and it's like we totally didn't. You know, we only yeah. have an hour. We we are we are all human, but that means that we can talk about something now, and like that's that's great. Right. People get excited about it. That yeah. that's really fun. Yeah. So yeah, Twitter or Reddit, good places for that. If it's gonna be a longer thing, Reddit probably on the subreddit. Twitter's good too, but you know, a little more limited. But yeah, I'm gonna start setting up a timer for these promotional. Uh, things. It's getting ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> at least find us. Where you find us? What's that? At least it's different every time. Yeah. Yeah. At least there's that. You know, that's, that's what just pre-record these and just like snip it in there. That would be terrible. I mean, terrible or what every single real company does ever. <laughs> a real company. We're the three dudes in your basement. We got interrupted because of an ice cream truck last time we recorded. <laughs> I didn't even get. Where the we didn't even get cream. those ice creams, man. 
All right. Uh, ready to move on to the monster of the week? Yes. All right. Today we're taking a look at the Bullywogs from the Monster Manual as well as uh, Ghosts of Salt Marsh in our Summer of Frogs or Early Autumn of Frogs or just this general time period where we have a bunch of Monsters of the Week that are frog related. Or Toad. Or Toad, but that doesn't sound as catchy as Summer of Frogs. <laughs> Anyways, uh, Bullywogs... are more like big salamanders too. Maybe the summer of amphibians. We're not on the slides yet. You can give your complaints later. <sighs> Ridiculous. Next month. Possible to work with. <laughs> <laughs> the Bullywogs are the proper rulers of the swamp, at least in, in their eyes. Uh, they are a fairly low challenge rating thing that have never had more than a pretty basic stat block and a hilarious demeanor as they are like a, a just a tribe of frogs out in the swamp that are going to be pissed that you're PCs are around, uh, but have very recently gotten a couple more stat blocks that could make these a very interesting encounter or a couple of sessions if you if you play it right. Uh, so, thoughts on the Bullywogs? I like them for a different sort of low-level cannon fodder. Mm-hmm. Usually you have the gnolls, the goblins, the kobolds. The Bullywogs are something a little different for that. I mean, their base stat blocks is challenged in one-fourth. Right, very small. Very yeah. easy. Yeah, yeah. So it's mm-hmm. not, they're usually not going to be an entire like massive campaign. There's a civilization civilization of bullywogs with their intricate culture and imposing threats of right. hierarchy of bullywogs. Right. But for like low level stuff, instead of like, oh, the goblins are raiding the town. It's like, well, when we go into the swamp to get resources, some people don't return and there's a little frog footprints. Go figure that one out. Now that you've said that, it honestly is like an exact copy of a goblin, but just for swamps specifically. Yeah. Um, they will occasionally have giant frogs as uh, mounts, just like goblins would have wolves. Yeah. They're basically the same stat block of armor class of 15, HP of 11. I think that's the exact same as goblins. <laughs> goblins might be a little less HP. They're a little bit stealthy, just for the ambush capabilities. Yeah, the uh, they have, actually in a swamp very stealthy. They have swamp camouflage, oh, so yeah. they get advantage. Okay, in swampy terrain. That's nice. But they you know, can I, jump really far. They can jump really far, just like goblins. Um, <laughs> no, I mean they're they're definitely flavored differently. But I think that brings up a really great point. Was there something different to throw at your party in an early level setting where? Usually it's it's just goblins. It's just, you know, whatever else. They're not as intricate. They don't have the history of goblins. But they do do something that I liked about goblins that we talked about in our recent Goblinoid episode, which is they will capture a lot of times. And when you're throwing low-level cannon fodder at a low-level party, uh, there is very much the chance that they're going to underestimate their opponents and run into a TPK. Uh, And when it says that the creatures are very likely to capture, I don't feel as bad about making those scary encounters towards low-level players. Because now it gives you the opportunity to just let the story progress in whatever way it progresses. You know, if you went out to kill some Bullywogs and it ended up where everybody got captured, now we're in something new and it's exciting. Right. Um, yeah, the the standard Bullywog stat block is nothing too crazy impressive. Like I said, challenge rating one-fourth. Hit points 11, armor class 15. They do get multi-attack. Yeah, yeah, they're amphibious, so they breathe air and water. They can speak of frogs and toads, which and means toads. that very... What? Just and toads, repeating it for emphasis. <laughs> emphasis. Thank, thanks for that. Um, yeah, they're very often probably going to be riding giant frogs, which would be cool. 
they get the swamp camouflage, the standing leap, and then uh, they make two attacks for which challenge rating one fourth is kind of scary. Bite in a spear attack, the bite is 1d4 plus 1. The spear attack is either 1d6 or 1d8 plus 1. And a level 1 party, that's can be pretty devastating. Yeah, and uh, one thing that you actually have to be careful of, and this is something that I kind of mess up all the time, in the armor class, it specifically says hide armor, comma, shield. So if you are using the spear as a d8, you need to drop their AC to 13. They can't hold the shield and hold the spear two-handed. Something really small, but like I feel like it it would be better off if they had like a, a 13 slash 15 to kind of trigger that more for DMs. Right. Um, but that is an important thing to, to keep in mind. Uh, I still agree, though. It's That's some big damage, 1d4 and 1d6 plus 2 overall. The only thing is they have a really low 2 hit, and they have a really low damage bonus where it's just plus 1. That's really not much. Right. Their stats are actually pretty garbage. <laughs> <laughs> but again, they're challenging in one form. I know. It, it like fits totally. But yeah, they're... It's interesting. They have like a bias against frogs. Like uh, lizard people, for instance, are a great kind of almost counterpoint to bullywogs. They live in a very similar environment, but lizard people are like... Put together a little. They're put together. Yeah. They have a civilization and they're also not all neutral evil. So when you uh, look at like goblins and you look at bullywogs, they have the same morality without the hierarchy. So bullywogs just have these weird like swamp cults of nothing but frogs that are all just mean. Just like a bunch of mean frogs. You say <laughs> no hierarchy, but you mean there's not the goblinoid overarching there the hierarchy? Yeah, okay, I'll I mean. say because the bullywogs do have a bit of a hierarchy. They do have king and queen bullywogs. Which is why they capture things. They like to parade their capture in front of them to try right. and advance in rank. Right, and there's some some fun stuff with that where they're like they're basically trying to uh, grab treasure. But what I think is even better is the Bullywog ruler is really really uh, wrapped up in how impressive they are to outsiders, and that's like one thing that they throw in there in the unruly diplomacy uh, section of their lore that I absolutely love. Because if your party does get captured, you're just going to have this frog person who just walks around and he's like, "Look at this majestic." item i have and just like throw something out that's like really mundane but everybody like if they play to his ego and they pick up on that they might actually let them go which is really cool just like different way to play it it's like you know what do you know about bullywogs let's give some history and right you know you've heard stories about uh bullywogs letting people go when they are nice to them basically and you know like it's not just something where you're going to be in a cage with goblins and they're just like basically preparing you for food or to be a slave. Like the bullywogs are just there to make sure that you're impressed by their presence and like kind of frightened of them a little bit. Right. And once that's made clear, they're like, no, don't you come back in our swamp. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, if things go really poorly, then luckily Saltmarsh added in a stat block for the bullywog royal, which could be that ruler of this, this bullywog society. The stat block doesn't get like too crazy out there. It's still only a challenge rating three, uh, but it definitely makes it a, once again, low level, difficult thing to fight. It hits pretty hard. It's got the brute feature, uh, which means that it includes a damage die for each of its hits. So it's it's spear does 2d8 instead of 1d8. Its bite is the exact same though. It's just with with weapons, I guess. It's it's 1d6 on its bite. Its croak decree is probably (laughs) its, its main important thing. And that's once per day, makes a loud pronouncement and each bullywog within 60 feet of the royal can uh, can hear that pronouncement have advantage on its next attack roll. Mm-hmm. So 
that makes for one very scary round, I feel like. When you if you're surrounded by bullywogs and this thing is basically leading them into battle. Definitely. Like it's uh it's an interesting reflavor of the trash mob. Mm-hmm. And I think they finally added the non-bullywog bullywogs like the bullywog royal and now it can easily replace your gnolls if you really want to scare a right. low level party. This is now totally an option. Right. Right. <clears throat> and the bullywog royal uh, it has the frog rider so if it's riding a giant frog it has advantage on all melee attacks. Right. That's which great. is nice. And it says it basically states that it's it's going to be riding a frog. Of course. You know, yeah. Which is great. Yeah. I mean, a frog riding a frog is just so silly. I, I love it. <laughs> so it not only gets that advantage, but you know, it's it's mounted. You have yeah. to deal with the frog that's trying to swallow you. And it's probably gonna do a pretty good job because you're low level. Right. <laughs> it's uh it's definitely threatening. And I could see this being used in a way like like I did goblins the other week in our uh in, in my campaign, where sure you're level four and one group of goblins is going to be very easy, but a dungeon crawl or a swamp crawl of bullywugs is going to be a, a difficult passage through the swamp. So if you have some mm-hmm. reason early on where it's like, I need you to get through the end of the swamp, it, it can be an entire thing just dealing with bullywugs. And once again, they added at least some variability with then the croaker, which is like the bard frog. <laughs> Did you guys look into that one at yeah, all? I did. Yeah, challenge rating two, 33 hit points, armor class 15. A lot of similar <laughs> abilities, speaking of frogs and toads, standing leap, etc. Yeah, but but then, let's yeah. go over its fun actions. Can you, <laughs> yes, can you yes. say those ones for me, Kevin? Glarpot. Yep, yep. Glarpot. <laughs> yep, that was good. What's that the other one? Mine. <laughs> <laughs> yes, three a day. Uh, the croaker sings a song of the marshy doom. It's pretty good, actually. Yeah, you've got a really good frog. Yeah. Have you been preparing for the summer? Yeah, no, I sat in the swamp for like three days. <laughs> <laughs> it's each chosen creature within 30 feet of the croaker that can hear the song, must make a 12 wisdom saving throw, taking two days psychic damage on a fail or half as much on a success. A creature that fails the saving throw also has a disadvantage on con saving throws until the end of its next turn. So I tried really digging into that one and, and looking around at the other stat blocks and even looking at the giant toads. Giving disadvantage on constitution saving throws doesn't really matter. Yeah, unless you're trying to like break concentration or something. I think that's it. I think that's, that's the only one. time. The other one is if you want to just throw poison on something. But a they, DM, no, they don't have it, but right. it, it would make sense for them to have access to it. It would. I just think it's a little odd that the stat blocks don't actually play into that. There isn't like some secondary ability it has that forces a constitution saving throw. No, you're absolutely correct. I just think that that is a great point, though. If you want to break concentration, fantastic way to do it. You've got a couple of times a day you can give that. And then if you've got a royal around who's giving advantage to everybody, you're going to break that concentration. Right. And then their one-a-day ability. Could you do that again, Will? <laughs> yep. <that's good. laughs> yeah. Uh, it sings an ode to an elder frog hemoth. Each bullywog within 30 feet of the croaker that could hear the song gains 10 temporary hit points. So that's a lot when you're talking about bullywogs that have 11 HP total. Right. And you can really stack them up. So putting one of these croakers in is definitely going to make it for a different fight. You're not going to feel like, oh, this is just another bullywog slug. But, uh... (laughs) Bullywog slug. Yeah. My favorite song from the 50s. (laughs) But in, no, I actually agree. This is uh, this combination is actually pretty deadly, especially if you scale it the way that you need to for any formidable party, which is 
there's going to be a lot of friggin' bullywogs. Right. There's going to be a lot yeah. of bullywogs. They're going to use the terrain to their advantage. They've got that standing leap. I think this is, you know, again, it's going to be in a swamp. There's going to be trees. They're going to be just jumping right up yeah. into them and throwing spears yeah. down. And they get advantage on stealth checks in the swamp. And... Right. So they're going to be ambushing you. I mean, it and could they really all have be... pluses to stealth. Yep. It's going to be an interesting just walk through the swamp. I yeah. mean, it's it's a great way to to flavor that up. I think even higher level groups this could be at least a nuisance in the swamp if you are putting in all of those higher level ones. Right. Like for maybe not a random encounter, a a scheduled random encounter. It's like <laughs> at some point during the their walk through the swamp, they will be overrun by bullywogs. And you probably can't include the royal with it making sense, in my opinion. because He's like, probably not going to be out on He's not going to be on a hunting party, you know. But right. uh, the croaker, I think that's that's great to throw in there. It's, again, the... the Mm-mm. That's not as good as Will's. No, nope. yeah, you got a deeper man. Nope, not gonna happen. I'll, I'll practice that another day before before your swamp encounters. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, giving everything ten temp HP is just it's a pain, right? And then you know your wizard fireballs them all because that's what wizards do. Then you just bring more in. You know, just keep on throwing in more bully. That's that's the thing the DMs need to always remember is if you screw up the encounter on the low end where your party is just like, they, f- they managed to fireball the entire group. If you don't want it to end, you just, don't let it end. Oh shit. There's more <laughs> just pushing it up. Just like pull every mini off the table and then push it right back. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's, um, it's something that you can keep in mind right from the start. Just like, you know, it, when it comes to trash mobs, keep them feeling like trash mobs. It starts off with 10 on the table uh, or maybe even less, because, yeah, it is really annoying to manage that many. Let's say you've got six on the table. One of them's the Bullywog Croaker. Five of them are the regular Bullywogs. Every turn, add two Bullywogs. Every single turn. It's top of the round, two more Bullywogs come up. Uh, it doesn't have to be indefinite, obviously, because it'll never end. But just something to keep that feeling of like, oh, God, they keep coming. Right. And you either need to find a way to uh, put the, the fear of Asmodeus in them or get out of there. And it, it, it's a great way to, as you're sizing up your table, which is important for anything, you know, if you don't have like a paladin at the table, like bags of meat are now more threatening. Mm-hmm. You just got to estimate that stuff. So, you know, just keep tossing bullywogs. These things are going to be basically invisible in the swamp. So yeah, your party can't really bitch that much. <laughs> right. Something uh, also to go over. Now we get to loop back from the spring of frog to the summer of frogs. They do have a very tight connection to the frog hemoth. Right, right. Yep. They worship them. So yeah. this is the trash mob you will be throwing at people if you want to have a frog hemoth boss battle. Right. right. Which is once again why I'm so glad they added more stat blocks for them. Because when we talked about the frog hemoth, uh, Saltmarsh wasn't out yet, actually. And there really wasn't that much excitingness to the bullywogs. It's like, well, there might be some, and it's going to eat the bullywogs because it just does that. It's, it's a silly frog hemoth. What does it know? But now you can really play this up as like, just something interesting to find in the swamp. You know, that you stumble upon this Bullywog society that is currently worshipping a frog hemoth, and you have the Bullywog royal making decrees, like, you need to do this for the frog hemoth. I speak with the frog hemoth, so <laughs> I understand. And, you know, it's just, it adds so much flavor to it. I, I would love to use this as a uh, a little bit more interesting of an encounter or a new type of encounter for these, these low-level stuff. 
Yeah, that being said, I feel like there's too big of a challenge rating gap between the Frog Hemoth and the Bullywogs. Frog Hemoth is challenge rating 10, the highest Bullywogs challenge rating 3. Right. I like the idea when you have kind of these like escalating creatures, uh, challenge rating of monsters, where you make a session out of them or a little arc or something where you would go and you start, you'd fight the low level Bullywogs and then the Croaker starts showing up and then you face the Royal and it kind of would slowly escalate and evolve to you having to fight the frog hemoth to do that though with this there's it's too odd of a gap either the beginning stuff is going to be cakewalk and then all of a sudden you're fighting the frog hemoth and that's the tough fight or the early stuff will be balanced and the frog hemoth is going to destroy you so i think i could see a day of adventuring where you start off fighting maybe either a lot of bullywogs or like a bullywog and a croaker and that's like your first encounter and that one's not going to be impossible it's going to probably burn some resources if we're looking at a let's say a level six or seven party i think going from a medium encounter with the challenge rating three royal maybe a croaker in there as well and then a couple trash mobs and then a final fight with just the frog hemoth as a one-on-one or pcs versus one enemy maybe it rises up and just like eats everything around and now you have to take care of that however you work it in i think around level six or seven you could get away with it yeah but then you're in that issue of the one creature versus the party of pcs which never that's why i think that that works perfect because the frog emoth we discuss this every time we have like a monster meat bag enemy action economy is huge right I don't care if your party is level nine. If you toss 10 Bullywogs onto the field and then a Croaker, that's going to really waste their time, energy, and actions when they could be nuking the uh, Frog Hemoth. Right. And, you know, you can even control the battlefield really well as a DM by saying the Frog Hemoth doesn't attack necessarily you, but the other Bullywogs. So you could create almost like an impossible situation with like 30 damn Bullywogs. Right. And the frog is like eating them for half the battle while you're trying to get to them. <laughs> and the croaker's there just like, everybody gets 10 temporary HP as well because I, I don't care. I want I want the frog hemoth to be happy. So I don't care that it's going to like rip it, rip him down and eat him. Um, so yeah, I think around that, those levels, you're going to be able to find that sweet spot, but it's not going to be from one or two encounters. It's going right. to be a day of it leading up to the frog hemoth and you're going to have to burn some resources. True. Yeah. And a swamp's a great place to actually do that to your party. It's like, oh, we take a short rest. It's like, you're in a swamp, man. <laughs> Keep walking or you're going to get eaten by bugs. Right. Yeah. And I also like the idea. So you need to travel through the swamp. Maybe there's really one way in that's actually navigable. Everything else is pretty much impossible to get through. And the Bullywog village or camp or whatever is in the middle of that. So as you're going through it, just kind of escalating thing of it gets more and more dense. And that's how you end up facing the Royal and mm-hmm. the Frog Hemoth, because they're in the middle there. Right. And then I, I would like to, I would play it up as this crazy culture, just this really alien, foreign culture that doesn't really exist with all the other usual monsters you see of like people kind of understand what to expect in a cobalt cave or a goblin hideout or right. gnolls rampaging through. 
with the bullywugs just really play up the, the weirdness of it. And I think actually uh, another trash mob that we could definitely loop into this one is like the Koatoa is a great example of like the aquatic version of this. Oh, we're not yeah. going to talk about them because we got we to gotta talk about Koatoa at some point. We will. But okay. what I'm saying is <laughs> they're just weirdos. Yeah. And the DM can do whatever they want. The right. Royals like spear could be like a candelabra tied to a stick. It's like, <laughs> I found the trident of Poseidon. It's like... It, you didn't. It's like a really rusty candelabra. Yeah. But they're just dumb frogs and they're crazy. You right, right, right. Do anything with that. No, I think that's that's definitely something you got to just like, just ramp up that weird. As you guys have both said, just make it very apparent right when you walk in uh, that just there's something inexplainable about this group and everything that your players know about Bullywogs, like this just doesn't line up, you know, or like whatever. This is just, this is outside of my knowledge, uh, even mm-hmm. if they roll really well or somebody's really good at history, whatever, just, or nature, it doesn't matter. Make them feel out of place. But not in the swamp. Perfect for the swamp. <laughs> no, no, don't make the Bullywogs feel out of place. Make the players feel out of place. They are, they're in the swamp. Well, what if one of them's a swamp dweller? Then he feels right at home. But we now, invite he's, a swamp to a now he's party. around the bullywogs and he's like, hey, this isn't what I know of the swamp. That's not the plot of Shrek. Oh my god. This is just Shrek. <laughs> is the frog Hemoth Shrek? <laughs> I, I think really the bullywog royal would be a great, great Shrek replacement, actually. Well, it's a great opportunity to practice your Shrek voice right. if you're looking for that. Or at the very least, say, get out my swamp. <laughs> <laughs> you're wasting time if you don't use that one. <laughs> <laughs> It's like a vampire not saying bleh. Bleh. <laughs> Anything else around the bully walks? Really small point, but yeah. I, and with the Banderhob last episode, we were joking about if they were Pokemon, the Banderhob would evolve into the Frog Hemoth. Uh-huh. In that chain, the Bullywog would absolutely be the first form of it. You would have oh. the, the Bullywog, who then evolves into the Banderhob, and then the Banderhob into the Frog Hemoth. Yeah, I see that. That makes sense. Yeah. It doesn't, but of course, in Pokemon rules on it, it does. This is not lore. Well, actually, the frog hemoth would be more of like the mega evolution of the slods. Actually, a frog hemoth isn't even a frog. Nah, slods don't fit in this at all. Slods what? are their own weird, fucked up aberration thingy. I have we'll a get to next big episode. spiel on that next episode. Yeah. All right, good. Keep everybody excited. Aren't you on the edge of your seat wondering our thoughts on the slods? Hmm? You should tune in in two weeks. Or the slotty. Or the slotty. It doesn't. I don't get that. It throws it in like once. Yeah, and is the general header. So I kind of saw it as like people versus person. Okay. Slot versus slotty. But it didn't feel necessary. Yeah, but everything else, it just red slot, green slot. And like slotty never comes up anywhere. Even at one point. I don't even know if I'm saying it right, but. Even at one point, it specifically says gray slot. And then in the next sentence, it says gray slotty. So maybe it's plural? The plural of slot is slotty? People versus person. Yeah. People in person person is indeed the plural. Wow, people is. I yeah. should go back to like English class for adults. <laughs> Fourth grade. <laughs> you think they'd accept me? No, <laughs> they'd bully me even more than when I was actually in fourth grade. Oh, it's never fun to be the dumb kid in the smart kid class. That's why I was the smart kid in the dumb kid class. It would have been the much better play. Dunking on dummies. <laughs> <laughs> we don't recommend you bully people here at Monsters and Multiclass unless it's your players. In game. Always, always bully your players. They love it. <laughs> all right. Uh think that's all we got. Thanks yeah. for for listening. Yeah? You want to say yeah. it? You, you say it better. Nah, I'm good. All right. Thanks for listening. That's terrible. Thanks for listening. <laughs>
was great, Kevin. It's good job, Kevin. <laughs> oh, 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 I forgot something. Bullywogs were suggested by SA Shenanigans. Thanks, SA Shenanigans. Thanks. This is a good suggestion. I like yes. the Bullywogs. Next time on Monsters and Multiclass. Join us next time as we discuss the Paladin Wizard and continue our Summer of Frogs with the Slotty from the Monster Dome.